calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88, you're gonna see some serious. Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is July 28th, 2014, and this is episode 88. And folks, you are in store for some serious, as Christopher Lloyd would say. My name is Jake English, and here to help me turn back time is Scott Magnus. We're going to go back in time. Oh, I regret that in so many ways. If you're listening to our voices right now, you're most likely doing so on our website, which can be found at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. But it's also possible that you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. Now, you can also find us in lots of other places. There are apps like Miro, Stitcher, and Double Twist. And if you really must... Find us on iTunes for as long as we're there before they throw us off. And if you do so, please go out there, put a review for the show, rate the show, let us know what you think. That really helps us out a lot. We're on social media. You can get a hold of us on Facebook at facebook.com slash BEVcast. You can catch us on Google+. You can uh, watch episodes of the show on YouTube with a stationary logo, but I'm not sure why you would. But most importantly, find us on Twitter at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. Don't forget, every Tuesday and Thursday, the Baltimore Sports Report Network puts on Post Game Live on Channel BSR. Tune in to baltimoresportsreport.com slash live about 15 minutes after the game on those two days of the week. And Scott, I'm going to take a deep breath while you tell us what will be showing up on Untapped for our drink of the week. Jake, this week on Untapped, I am drinking a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. All right. I like that. I approve. I am drinking a birdhouse pale ale from the Brewer's Art. Nothing like an orange can with an orange avian bird on it. So kudos to you, Jake. Very, did, very well done. They really know how to get me. They they do. They, it's just like, hey, what can we do to sell Jake English beer? Oh, I know. Let's put an Oreo bird on a beer can and paint it all orange. <laughs> Again, you can find me on untapped at Jake E4025. You can find Scott uh, on untapped at MAGN8606, and all of those will uh, will show up on the Bird's Eye View Twitter feed. Scotty, without further ado, let's go through the medical wing. Well, the big news on the medical wing was the unexpected back spasms by Manny Machado during the West Coast trip, which prompted... Um, well, it prompted Ryan Flaherty and Jonathan Scope both to be in the lineup. <laughs> and one would normally think that would be a death knell for the Orioles. But somehow they managed to survive it. Just my liver. It was just a death knell for my liver. Yes. So um, that's the biggest news in terms of injuries. It also sounded like Steve Pierce was dealing with some lingering issues as well. Um, that's why we saw a lot more of Delman Young over the past week as well. Was it just that he was struggling? Did he come down with the sucks, or was he really banged up? I think he was a little bit banged up earlier this week, but again, everything looks like it's perfectly fine. The diving catch that he made on Sunday was immaculate, so 
Kudos to Steve Pierce. Yeah, no sucks there. Yeah. All right. Uh, what about Abaldo Jimenez? Anything new on that front? Jimenez is still going to be looking at doing, you know, a, you know, plenty of rehab. So no, nothing really too new on that front. It's still a while away. All right. Well, in that case, let's go on to the twat this week on the Twitters. Before we go any further, we're not going to talk about this a lot because we're not into lazy podcasting. We don't need to fill airtime with stupid stuff. We're only five minutes into the podcast. Don't we have to wait like another 15 or 20 minutes before we get to this? Maybe. Okay. So lazy podcasting. What's the lazy podcasting story of the week? It's Ray Rice and his suspension. And you're going to hear a lot. You're going to hear a lot until there's something new, stupid to talk about. Look, I don't want to get too much into it and whether it was right or wrong, whether he's going to serve long enough as a suspension. Turn on FM if you want to hear that. But I want to point out a dumb tweet. And it really shows that the, the SB Nation, this is at SB Nation, they don't get it. All right. The comment was, the NFL suspended Ray Rice just two games, showing they don't care about women. And Scott, that could not be further from the truth. It's not that they don't care about women. It's that they don't care about any of us. All of us, all people are nothing but dollar signs to the NFL. We're not people. We're opportunities to market and to make money. And tweets like, the NFL doesn't care about women, is completely unfair to the NFL and just how base and vile an organization like that can be. And yet we're all going to don our purple, me included, up here on my high horse, up on my soapbox, Come September. So can we all just stop pretending to be righteously indignant about this? Can we just all realize that, yes, the NFL is coming back into session and there's, spring, uh, there's training camp going on, but it's baseball season. We're in first place. We're a baseball podcast. Let's focus on that. You're right. I'm on notice. Go, Scott. Right. Go. Jake, the uh, next thing I wanted to cover was uh, uh, in regards to someone that we hold dear to our hearts. Brian That's, Roberts' wife? No. Let's uh, bring in our skeletons for the last time, perhaps. The Oakland Athletics posted on their Twitter account that hashtag athletics recall Evan Scribner from Sacramento and have designated Jim Johnson for assignment. Jake, I can't tell you what I can say besides poor Jim Johnson. Yeah, I really feel bad for the guy. But you know who I have a bigger issue with is you, sir. You, sir, I have a gripe with. How dare you say the Orioles shouldn't go back and re-sign Jim Johnson? What? To a minor league deal. Okay. I, I, I was really hoping that we weren't going to do this because it, it really took everything I could. I, if you don't know what we're talking about, I, I put out a blog this week about how we should move on. The Orioles shouldn't get Jim Johnson, and that hurts so much to write because I love Jim Johnson, um, you know, unfairly so. Um, so you got me there, Scott. I did get you there. All right, Jake. Uh, next topic I wanted to cover with you was a zing of the week. And that zing of the week goes to Mark Brown, who posts for Camden Chat. You can follow him at, at EatMoreSK. And his tweet was, when Delman Young hits a home run, it's a bat mitzvah. This is the funniest damn tweet <laughs> I saw all week. So, Mark, excellent job. You will be re- receiving your prize, which is absolutely nothing besides our self-respect and appreciation for making that kind of joke. So well done. You win the thing of the week. That's That was really, really well done. All right. The next one we got, let me just put an exclamation point on this. I love this. This is from Joe Paparato of the OBP podcast. Great stuff. They just put out a new episode. Make sure you go check them out. But Joe Pa's not on it. Hey, 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 hey. I'm going into plug mode here. You leave me be. That's fine. Apparently Joe Pa has work to do. What? Can you believe that? No. I mean, that's garbage. All right. So at Joe Papa, he tweets out, Yankees can clean out the bank. O's are still taking this division. Yes, sir. I like yes, it. Yes, they Got it. are. Um, I'd like to go to a tease topic. And, I'll uh, bet you would. Yeah, it was given out last yesterday during uh, the press conference with the media. And Buck told the media, and this is from Brittany Giroli. You can follow her at Britt underscore Giroli. Buck said there could be some changes in the rotation next week. Gonzalez is starting tomorrow, but the O's could do interesting things, he said. And interesting was in quotation marks. Ooh. What kind of uh, interesting and perhaps seductive things could be uh, done? I think all the pitchers are going to throw with their opposite hands. You know, we really need to get an expert to weigh in on this. Someone from the media, someone that maybe was reading Buck Showalter's body language during that press conference. So let's go get our interviewee and see if he was able to discern anything from it. All right, rock on. Rockin', rockin', rockin with me. 
Usually we try to introduce our guests, but listeners to this program should need no introduction. Rockabaco is a featured blogger on mathandsports.com. He provides essential Orioles cover, coverage in addition to appearing on air for the network, doing spots on national TV and radio, and despite having become a phenomenal success and a job we would all kill to do, Rock manages to be an all-around good dude. He takes his relationship with readers very seriously and is incredibly gracious with his time, and for some reason, he's agreed to join us here on Bird's Eye View. Rock, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. How are you guys doing? Doing great. It's, a, it's an off day, but we're, we're doing all we can. It's never really an off day on the baseball beat. There's always something going on, something to talk about. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have a busy night ahead of uh, rumors and speculation going up through this entire week. So uh, we're going to try to stay away from rumors and speculations because, honestly, we know you're going to get hounded by that with absolutely annoying and obnoxious questions. So we're going to try to stay off of the trade topics and talk on other topics tonight, if you don't mind. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Rocks Scott wouldn't let me ask who the player to be named later for Chad Bradford was, so I'm just going to – you can scratch that off your list. I appreciate that, but uh, it really was just a cash uh, transaction, I swear. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, we'll, we'll believe that for right now. Um, but, you know, coming off the West Coast trip, the Orioles went 6-4. and four. Everyone is high as a kite. It's like, oh, this is great. This is exactly what a playoff team is doing. Orioles are getting national recognition from like ESPN, CBS Sports, and everything like this. But we're going to take it to you know the negative side. Point is, if there is one thing negative that the Orioles fans should be looking at and maybe overlooking with this recent trip, what do you think it would be? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I can understand why there's so much euphoria right now over going six and four. I know a lot of fans were saying, Hey, you know, if we'd settle for four and six mm-hmm. or, you know, five and five. And then you look at that fact that they easily could have won the very first game on Donaldson's walk off, off of Britain, you know, after a swinging bunt single and a, a broken bat flare in the right field. But, uh, you know, it's always going to be starting pitching. There's always going to be a concern about whether, I mean, there's depth, but is it good enough for them to, to make it through the rest of the season if they don't make another move here? And if you make the playoffs in a short series, I mean, do they have enough, even if you're looking at three or four guys in a short series, to, to, to get deep into the postseason and, and maybe win it all? So I think that's always going to be the lingering concern. But you look at what this ERA's done, you know, the staff ERA over the last you know, 40-some games, it's really encouraging. But I think that's always going to be where the concern starts because, you know, even when the bats kind of go quiet, and let's face it, I guess that would be a concern with Seattle series. They weren't exactly not going to cover off the ball. I don't even know if they scored more free runs in any of those games, but it was good enough. But you know they're going to be spurts where that's going to happen. But overall, there's enough, there's enough offense on this team. They should be fine. The defense is going to be fine. You've got to like the bullpen. It's just a question of will the rotation hold up. And that's why there's a lot of curiosity about whether they go ahead and make a move because they are looking for starting pitching. But it's always the rotation is always going to be the concern, I think. Totally agree with you. I mean, if you look at that Angels series, you're going into a series against a team that is scoring the most runs scored per game in the Angels, and the rotation is able to minimize the damage, and the offense is able to put up just enough numbers in order to take two or three. And realistically, they might have been able to sweep the Angels unless they had that situation in the eighth inning where they gave up the lead. But honestly, it was a great West Coast trip. I don't think we can get too down on the fact of we went against some great pitchers, all things considering, during the West Coast trip as well. Yeah, and you know that's why I'm just curious if they're going to go ahead and make a move. But it's just interesting that whenever they seem to be, when the offense really gets cranked up, then there seems to be a problem with the pitching. And then when the pitching is going really well, it seems like the bats quiet down. They, they haven't really been operating on all cylinders for any extended period of time this season. And if they do that, they're really going to be dangerous. It just always seems like they're making up for some efficiency somewhere. Uh, but, again, I, I think right now they're going to be fine. I, there's got to be a temptation to stay with what you've got right now. But they, they must look at this division. They know it's down this year. Oakland is probably the biggest threat to go ahead and win the American League. So I think I don't think they're going to be all in like Oakland was with the really bold, daring move where they're giving up some top prospects. But I think they still feel like they should go ahead and make some kind of a move because it's there for the taking. And he may as well go ahead and go for it right now, especially with that window slowly closing now with guys who are potential free agents after this season and next season. Well, you know, the Orioles fans have, have been so abused in the last uh, 10, 15 years around this time. You know, that's, this is when we start to, to get into selling mode. Um, but we've been spoiled by 
uh, Andy McPhail, who could swing the amazing trade and fleece another team. And I, I think we're also spoiled to an extent with Dan Duquette right now, who can make the moves that aren't quite so flashy, but really bring important and useful pieces in to augment an already good team without selling the future. So, uh, you know, if it, if it were me, among the other 29 teams looking for starting pitching right now, I think we've probably got the right guy in it to not give up too much and get just enough to help the Orioles move on. It is interesting being on this side of it because for so many years they were the ones that were the sellers and we had to kind of sit there and, and wait to see what veterans are going to be traded off for prospects that may or may not ever make it. Now you're on the other side of it and you have people that kind of wring their hands last season giving up Josh Hader, a really intriguing prospect who's something like 9-1 and one right now yeah. in A-ball uh, for the Astros, but you got Bud Norris in return who I think is, is the guy who's going to really help them brings kind of a bulldog mentality and attitude to this rotation that's been lacking. But you do have to give up something to get something. So you're kind of on that side of it now. But, you know, you can forget Gosman, Bundy, Rodriguez, you know, Hunter Harvey. I don't think these guys are on the table at all. So the challenge now is to go ahead and add a piece, if you are looking for starting pitching, that's an upgrade over what you have without giving up any of those guys, and that's really tough to do. And that's why when a John Lester's name's floated out there or Hamels or somebody like that, you know, it's going to be tough to obtain somebody unless the team's willing to look at that second tier of pitching prospects, a Tim Barry, a Mike Wright, someone like that, and that's not going to get you Hamels. Uh, Lester, because he's a pending free agent, perhaps, but someone else is probably going to offer up more. So the Orioles are trying to get deals done, but not mortgage of the future. And I think that's a smart move. And I realize they've struggled to draft and develop starting pitchers, but Mucina might be the last one. I get that. If you can get an established major leaguer in exchange for a prospect, most people will tell you go ahead and do that. But I like this idea that if this team's really going to compete, not just now, but down the road, they're going to have to do it by drafting and developing their own guys. And now that they finally have this kind of depth and, and these prospects who are moving up to the upper levels of the farm system, not guys who are down in Aberdeen or Delmarva, but in Bowie and, and Norfolk, you know, the, I, the thought now is you, you hold on to those guys and you hope they're a big part of your future. Sure. Well, we promised we'd try to stay as much away we could from, uh, from the waiver wire. I'm actually going to shift gears if that's all right. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the Orioles family suffered a, a great loss with the passing of Monica Barlow in, in uh, the season. And the club has responded with a number of tributes. And I've been especially impressed with the tributes that we've seen. Um, the, the media has done a great job of, you know, snapping uh, pictures on their cell phones when they're at opposing stadiums. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, about both being on the road and having those other clubs take the time to recognize Monica, the role she played um, in the organization, and also just how the team is, is moving forward with the season. Because I, you know, I saw so much at the beginning of the season, I, I think it's important that we, we keep talking about it. And I do appreciate that because, you know, she was a close friend and, you know, I miss her every day. And I always say there's always Monica moments that, you know, reminders uh, constantly every single day of her. And I think it's wonderful that, that she's being honored the way she is. I mean, that's how much she was loved and respected. And it goes back to, to spring training. I mean, being in Fort Myers and having them have a, observe a moment of silence. And then what they did at Nats Park this year, just a classy gesture. And I think there was a day when pretty much the game notes for just about every major league team included mention of her, which I just thought was wonderful. And, and absolutely, make no mistake about it, there's a lot of motivation already for this team to get to the World Series, to win a championship. You better believe a big part of it, too, is they want to do this for Monica. Uh, and, you know, the guys are still wearing the T-shirts honoring her. Uh, the, the longevity, which I'm going to be participating in the walk on, on September 20th at Camden Yards. And you've got guys wearing the, the, the K-Cancer T-shirts that Nick Barcake has started wearing. Now other guys are doing it. Uh, so, I mean, she, her presence is felt strongly every single day. And, and I just have to laugh about the Monica moments. There was a New York writer who asked Buck a question post-game, uh, you know, bringing up the incident uh, recently involving uh, one of the Yankees, uh, and now I'm blanking on the on the, the situation, though, the hard slide in the third base. Steve Pierce in Johnson, the third. Steve Pierce. Yeah. And whether there was any carryover, being both of them were hit by pitches in this game, which I thought was a bit of a reach. Buck didn't even know what he was talking about at first. And he answered the question, but he was very impatient, especially because this writer really hadn't done his homework and, and thought that there, that uh, the umpires had ruled that Pierce was out of the baseline or whatever and, and was called for interference, which was not the case. And Buck knew that. 
And I just thought, and I have people say there was a Monica moment because if she was there while this question was being asked, she would have been fuming. She may have cut off the interview or she at least would have been venting about it afterward. And, and we all would have gotten a chuckle out of it because her voice would have gone up about 12 octaves. So that was just one of the examples. But uh, yeah, they, this, this, she, her presence is still strongly felt in that clubhouse. And I know these guys absolutely would love to win it all for her. Well, I tell you, that, that really does come through for, for people like Scott and I who will never be closer than row one uh, of the seating area. Um, it comes through, and, and that's been really special. And not to mention, year. Monica really stepped up and was a quintessential part for even the small time and you know bloggers and podcasters out there. So um, as much as he, she was an everyday um, you know, presence in your life, you know, she made it really special for us just to not be just be Orioles fans, but you know, pseudo-hobby Orioles media. <laughs> so we truly appreciate her to this day. Well, yeah, we, we all miss her. She was she was something special, that's for sure. And it's just so unfair that you you know taken from us at, at you know such a young age, and uh, that's why the fight continues with the, with the longevity walk and the money that's being generated. It's like she's gone, but we're going to keep fighting for her. Sure, absolutely. Um, you you mentioned Buck Showalter, and, and I'd kind of like to go back to that. We we think we fans think that we know these guys, and let's face it, we're we're not even close. Um, but Buck seems to be a great guy to be around, and from what we see on the post game shows and in the manager reports and such, you know, on screen time with Rockabaco. Um, can you share a, a Buck story that that represents the the quintessential Buck experience for those of us that are just on the outside? Well, we just always laugh because there's so many Buckisms. I mean, things that we've so we've heard a lot of them, like over and over. We'll kind of look at each other, like here's another one. But uh, it, you know, it, it's he's he's got a way with words. I think he's just a walking slogan. I mean, you think about that that buckle up, uh, which you know really caught fire a few years ago, the playoff season, simply because he was talking about you know it's like riding a roller coaster but without the bar coming down in front of you. And all of a sudden they, we had that and. And he says, I like our guys. And suddenly that's on the T-shirt. And, and most recently when he asked, uh, you know, Jim Hunter, is it possible to have a man crush on your team? And I'm thinking that's a slogan right there. And he's not <laughs> doing it on purpose. It's just that's how much he loves this team. And, you know, he, he fights for him. I know fans get frustrated when sometimes he doesn't call them out after a game if somebody had a poor outing or made some kind of mistake. You know, these things are addressed privately. But Buck's never going to throw his players under the bus publicly in front of everybody because you'll lose a clubhouse pretty quickly doing that. And so he's, he's kind of a, he's a player's manager, but they have the utmost respect for him. And the minute he showed up, he became the face of the franchise. And he absolutely hates when I bring that up. I've done that a few times. And he doesn't want any part of that. He gets uncomfortable when he saw, you know, the one year when his, his uh, image was appearing on all these banners that were all over the ballpark and in the city of Baltimore. He'd rather step back and have the, all the attention on the players but that's impossible to do. I think he became the fan face of the franchise the first day he showed up. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that I, I have a hate hate relationship with the four letter network. So I didn't really see him on his, during his tenure at, uh, on ESPN. But, uh, the minute he got here, he really seemed to embrace being an Oriole. And that sounds so cheesy and, and so cliche, but you know, it's, as a fan, it's really nice to see because I, I don't get the impression that it's lip service from Buck. Not at all. And it's funny how much he, you know, he'll go along with whatever someone's trying to talk up, you know, something about the Yankees, uh, you know, when they're honoring Jeter or whatever, we're in New York, and obviously he was, you know, his first manager, and they'll, they'll ask him about it. But Buck will immediately point out, hey, you know, we've got great players here, too. We've got statues as well. Like, he's, he's only going to say so much, so many nice things about New York and the Yankee tradition. He always shifts it back to Baltimore, which I think fans absolutely love. And uh, he'll constantly bring up payroll discrepancies with, New York and Boston, and uh, so he's 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 all you know the black and orange. And as far as dealing with the media, I think maybe it benefited him. I wish I could go back now and watch the old tapes of him when he was on that network between managing gigs. And I think it gave him a better appreciation and better understanding of what we do on this side of it with the media. And I think it's helped him out. And uh, we may be seeing a little bit of a different buck than, than the one that the, the Yankee writers covered, the Diamondbacks and the Rangers. You know, I've talked to their writers, and they're like, man, he just seems a lot more relaxed and, and, and funny than he was before. I mean, he's, you know, he still takes everything seriously, and he's still very hands-on, but I think he's kind of relaxed a little bit over the last few years and, and trusts his people more, lets them do their jobs, kind of steps back. He's aware of everything that's going on, but... You know, he had the reputation of being such a control freak earlier, and, and I just don't see that as much right now. And I think he's, he's a little more relaxed and having fun with it, and I think that's, that's benefited him. 
All right. So going back to some of Buck's interesting comments, one of the comments that he made um, on Sunday, which was kind of a teaser for you guys, was he said uh, that interesting things could be coming in the rotation moving forward. And, you know, Jake and me talked about this and, you know, the consensus was either you're going to a six man rotation, you're going to tandem starters or trade is in the works. But this is classic Buck Showalter of kind of giving that tease to you guys in the media and just kind of messing with fans heads, but also the media and having to figure out what's kind of going on. First of all, I have to ask you, what do you think actually is coming? And second of all, do you think Buck really enjoys throwing out those little teasers and seeing everyone's kind of squirm out a little bit? I think so. I think Buck enjoys the, I know something you don't. Yeah. I, mean, I have no <laughs> doubt about that. But I think primarily when he was looking at his ways because of the off day to tweak the rotation, which he ended up doing by pushing back Woody and Chen. He wanted to avoid having him pitch against the Angels, even though he was lined up to do that, because they'd just come off, what was it, eight scoreless against the Mariners. And, the, you know, he, he struggles more against left-handed hitters, and the Angels are one of the best-hitting teams against lefties. So with that off day, Buck was able to tweak the rotation, which he does frequently, and push Chen back to this weekend, Friday, against Seattle. So I think that, that was a big part of it. I think he was looking at the possibility before Sunday's game, instead of having Gonzalez go out there, moving him back, if he was able to, turns out he needed to use McFarland, who ended up going on the bereavement list anyway. So I think he was also considering maybe doing something there. But I think primarily it was just being able to go ahead and, and get better matchups by pushing back Chen and avoid having him pitch against the Angels. No, I totally agree with you about that. I think that's going to be an important uh, situation going down the stretch. You know, we look back at 2012 and look at Wee and Chan, and it really felt like in August and September, he almost got gassed a little bit in terms of how many innings he was pitching. Um, I think Buck is very present of that, seeing last year how much his starters got gassed um, and kind of using the ability to use a McFarland, but also Jimenez and uh, anybody else that he can that's coming up from in the 40-man, 40-man roster um, in September to kind of give his guys a little bit of rest when they need it to happen. So uh, I totally agree with you. It's a good opportunity to do some uh, roster management, um, maybe not as drastically as some fans think it would be. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you need the, the schedule to cooperate, obviously, when you have those off days. And, of course, they're going to lose one. I think it's on the 4th yep. because of the rain out. They have to make up game with, with the Nats uh, next Monday. That would have been an off day as well. But, you know, as long as the schedule allows them to do that, and when Jimenez comes back, you're looking at six starters right now. That's just assuming they don't do anything else. They don't make another move. So that's going to give him some of the flexibility. I'm going to be curious about how he's going to maneuver a six-man rotation because Buck hates the phrase six-man rotation. Every time we bring it up, he seems to cringe. But we do the math, and there are six starters when Jimenez comes back. And the fact that they're still in the market for another starter, that would be seven unless they you know, move one of these guys in that deal. So they're going to have a little bit of an excess so, you know, Buck's going to be able to maybe go ahead and, and work it where he can go ahead and give somebody a little bit of extra rest. Because let's face it, Chen's a key component in this rotation. If you can get him to start giving you deeper starts and not be a, a five-and-two-third type guy and be able to get you into the seventh and eighth inning, that's really going to benefit them. Well, yeah, and I, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, the one thing is, too, if they do get into a playoff scenario, if Chen goes five or six innings, that would be perfectly acceptable, too, because, again, there's enough of a stretch there where the relievers could come in there. The other question I would have is, you know, you've got a situation, too, where you've got Gonzalez and you've got Jimenez. And, you know, what are you going to do with both of those pitchers? Um, Gonzalez definitely has been much improved over the past four starts. But one of the questions has always been, you know, could one of those starters go to the bullpen? Um, Gonzalez is an interesting option since he's had bullpen experience in the past. But also Jimenez is interesting, and we're actually going to cover this later in our podcast, um, with uh, Jimenez's three pitches, his fastball and his sinker, um, have been actually really good. As actually his fastball, sinker, and splitter have given batting averages below 230 for all those. Um, whereas you know his slider and his curveball has absolutely been crushed this year. Um, it would be interesting to see what would Jimenez would do in the bullpen with only three pitches, as opposed to just relying on five pitches as a starter. Right, and I think they're still kind of looking at him as a the guy they're hoping they can insert back in the rotation and he'll be the same guy, the second-half guy that he was with the Indians last year when he had the 182 ERA, granted, in the Central Division. I think it was a little bit of an easier schedule. But nonetheless, they're kind of looking at track record and counting on him being a big second-half guy when he's healthy. Gonzalez did seem to be the candidate most likely to move to the bullpen. He's worked out of there a little bit in the past. But then you look at what he's done over his last four starts, and you have to think, well, maybe he's better off in the rotation. Yeah. It could be a pleasant problem to have at this point. Plus, if you put anybody in the bullpen, 
you're going to have to make room for him. And they are in the market for another reliever, a late-inning type guy. And even if you don't add somebody else, if you put a starter in the, in the bullpen, now who do you eliminate to make room? And they really like Brock, and they like yep. McFarland as being long guys, multi-inning guys. So I don't know who the vulnerable reliever is at that point. There's not a lot of flexibility as far as guys having options. So, you know, again, a pleasant problem to have, but I'm just not sure how you would make room in the bullpen right now. Yeah, and going back to the comment about Gonzalez, Gonzalez has had a 1.82 ERA throughout July. The only thing I can think of putting Gonzo into the bullpen would be you do have the op. You've already optioned Gonzo, Gonzo down into the minor leagues this year, so you know he has an option pretty much available for this whole year. You could do a flex spot between McFarland and Gonzo, maybe leading to September. But again, I think this is all speculation. I think that things have a tendency to work themselves out with someone getting injured, or you know something will come up. So I'd rather not speculate. Things just suddenly turn to work out well for the Orioles. <laughs> and, and Buck always points that out that these things always do have a way of working out. And unfortunately, every time he thinks he has a plan laid out for the rotation, yeah. something happens. Like, who knew that Jimenez was going to come down with an ankle injury or, you know, whatever. And then at one point, Gonzalez was on the DL, and at one point, Norris was on the DL. So, unfortunately, they do have a way of working themselves out because oftentimes it does end up involving an injury. Yep. Go ahead, Jake. Well, well, I'll tell you what, Rock, you've been incredibly gracious with your time. We, we need to speed things up here. We're trying to introduce a new segment uh, for our guests. And, you know, it's kind of a lightning round thing, but lightning round's already taken. You know, rapid fire. Everybody's got one of those. We, we, will you be willing to be our guinea pig? Oh, absolutely. All right. We're, we're thinking about calling this segment, Let's Have a Quickie. Okay, I'm all for that. So. All right, Rockabaco, let's have a quickie. First question is, uh, on our podcast here, we always start out with the drink of the week. What would be your drink of the week? I'm a big 7-7 seven and seven guy, and I'm told that's kind of outdated. No, uh, no it's not. But, uh, and maybe it's, I'm showing my age, but that, that would be my preference, if not the dirty martini. All right. Uh, you've, you've been on the Oriole Beat for a while now. You've gone uh, to a lot of away games, done a lot of traveling. What is the worst airport you've been in? <laughs> Ah, uh, well, that's a good question. Um, I'll just, I love BWI, but I hate the baggage claim. But other than that, that's actually one of the more convenient ones. But uh, I, I would think anytime you end up having to go to a Miami airport, I do try to avoid it. But if you have to go there, it can be nightmarish. That's why I would try and fly into Lauderdale uh, as much as I can to avoid going to Miami. Um, Rock, your workouts are famous, almost infamous in terms of, and there's even a Twitter account out there regarding your arms. So the question that Birdland has for you is, Rock, what's your max bench press? <laughs> uh, let's see. Let me do the math. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, I, I don't try necessarily max out. I'm a little more rest instead of just trying to do one or two. Uh, which I've learned over the years that's actually more beneficial. I'm not looking to power lift, and I'm dancing around this question. So you're not, you're not right. trying to impress the ladies anymore, so... <laughs> I don't know who's listening, so, uh, you know, it's, I, I'm, I could get me uh, around 300. All right. Well, that's much more than Megan Jake can post, so that's much more impressive. All right. Here's the, here's the real question. Are you a Beatles guy or a Stones guy? A stone guy. Oh, sure. yuck. Scotty, you, you take the next All one. All right, I'll take the next one. Jake is absolutely devastated right now. <laughs> so final question for you, Rock. One of the things that we enjoy so much about you is that deep down in you're an Orioles fan at heart, and you cover a team that you grew up, grew up rooting for. Rock, what's your favorite all-time Orioles moment as a fan? As a fan, it would be the last game of Memorial Stadium. And uh, I just happen to be... Uh, my wife at the time, her cousin was Jeff Kaiser, who was a lefty reliever, and he was with the Tigers at that time. He got his tickets, and uh, I'll never forget that experience. And I'll, I'll admit, it was I was pretty choked up like everybody else was that all the old, old Orioles come back out, the Field of Dreams music play, and there may have been a few tears shed. That will always be my number one. And, you know, being there for Cal 20 21-30, his final game. I mean, there, there are a lot of others, but the last game of Memorial Stadium, because that's the stadium I grew up in, will always be number one for me. All right. Well, uh, you know, we, we've got the uh, 60th anniversary of the, the Orioles being celebrated. I think it's the 8th. Is that right? August 8th, yep. So, uh, yep. you know, get, get that hanky ready. There may be another opportunity for that uh, coming up. Uh, Rock, thank you so much. Again, usually we, we try to have our guests plug stuff, but anybody who's listening to our voice is already reading you on a regular basis anyway. But we can plug, you know, go to Orioles.com slash longevity. Go there, register for the 5K that's on September 20th. 
If you go and register, the first 500 registrants also get tickets to the Orioles 705 game versus the Boston Red Sox. That sounds like a heck of a night to go and support a great organization, but also go to see potential, you know, clinching baseball for a playoff spot as well. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, Rock, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. I got arms that long to hold you and keep you by my side. I got lips that long to kiss you and keep you satisfied. If anything that you want, if there's anything I can do, just call on me and I'll send it along with love from me to you. Jake, the Orioles' rotation has been much better in the past two months. Uh, in June, July, the rotation has been bolstered by many people's opinions by the loss of Abaldo Jimenez over the past few weeks. Ouch! Um, but no matter how you look at it, the rotation has been better, um, and you know there's been some real strengths in the rotation. Um, one of the biggest strengths that, if you look at the stats, it has to be Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman finally has been able to stay up in the big leagues. And um, he's one of the major reasons for this turnaround. He's posted a team-best FIP of 3.40, and he has a 1.0 war after only nine games. Jake, just to put that in perspective, if he had the ability to pitch an entire season for 30 games, he'd be on pace to be a top-20 starter in Major League Baseball based on war. And regardless of all of that, he has exactly what it takes to be a key contributor on this staff. Again, this staff that we've talked about that— has been weak at times. You're absolutely right. And again, it really is the question of what role is he going to serve for this team and where is he going to be? When the Orioles came out of the All-Star break, he was their third starter in the rotation behind Chris Tillman and Wee and Chen. And the argument could be made that if you were to go into a game one or game two, would you throw TJ McFarlane out there? Let's go to the game that was passed this week. I'm sorry, did you just say TJ McFarlane? I'm sorry, Kevin Gossman. Wow, that's a, that's I a thought you had done a complete 180. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a, continuing on. So going back to uh, Kevin Gossman, Kevin Gossman going against Felix Hernandez against the Seattle. That was a situation of it was going to be a great matchup, and the question was, can Kevin Gossman be able to handle it against a pretty much sellout crowd with people constantly chanting KKK for Felix Hernandez? And he was able to deal that game and go head to head with Felix Hernandez. Sure, he didn't come out with the win but he kept the team in the game the whole game. Yeah, I mean, I I thought this was a really good uh, appearance for Kevin Gosman. I talked about his last appearance against the Red Sox where, uh, you know, he he did just enough, even though he didn't have his best stuff. He he didn't get the win, but he, you know, he, he went out there and he got himself out of trouble. And here you had a situation where the bats had been struggling. They had gone quiet on this West Coast trip, and he was up against the one of the best pitchers in the league. And what did he do? Like a good rookie, he settled himself down and he, he pitched lights out. That's the kind of stuff you're going to need if you're going to go deep into the playoffs. And and everybody's complaint about the Orioles is, yes, they're a good team. Yes, they should win the AL East. But, and the but is always, but how are you going to win a playoff series with that pitching staff? Well, hopefully you win it with a guy like Kevin Gosman. There's a lot of interesting stats in Kevin Gosman's numbers. The one thing that's dramatically improved in since June is his case per nine is dramatically up. He has a 7.71 case per nine as opposed to a 5.63, which is a really encouraging sign that his strikeouts are starting to come up again. But here's an even more interesting stat that I want to throw about you, Jake. Jake, Kevin Gosman's Babbitt, which again measures the ability for hitters to get on base when the balls are put in play, is at 359. Now, the average is around 300 for most pitchers. It can you know, go back and forth a little bit. But 359 is an extremely high number for Kevin Gossman. You would have to think that number is going to improve. And if that number is going to improve, you've got to figure that Kevin Gossman's ERA is going to improve much more as well. All right. Um, you know, it's not just the Kevin Gossman show. Who else do we have that's that's making waves here in this in this second half? Well, Jake, uh, the one person that's really impressed me has been Chris Tillman. You know, for as lukewarm as Chris Tillman has been, kind of like up and down, up and down in terms of treading water. Since June 10th, Chris Tillman has posted a 2.45 ERA and a 3.85 FIP, which rivals Kevin Gossman, in my opinion. And best of all, Jake, again, I'm going to come back to the Babbitt barbecue. He has a Babbitt of 322. His career number in terms of Babbitt is 270. So once again, 
batters are hitting very well against him and putting the balls in play. But Chris Tillman is still doing remarkable jobs in terms of minimizing his ERA. Chris Tillman has been very impressive. I won't say that he's an ace, but Chris Tillman is a definitely a good number two and number three starter right now. All right, you you tweeted out a great stat, and I'm going to mis- misquote it, so I'm going to turn this back over to you. But uh, one of your big gripes all season has been, okay, Jake, fine, you're going to use an ancient stat like ERA, even when the staff has a decent ERA, some of their higher, you know, higher level stats just aren't in in keeping with something that says this is a good guy. You you said something to the fact that for over a certain period of time, the FIP and the ERA were starting to match. Yes, um, I basically looked at it over the past uh, ten days since the All Star break, and if you include starting pitchers but also relief pitchers. The FIP and ERA for all Orioles pitchers is almost dead on, which is really interesting. I just think that's interesting. I just, you know, for the dichotomy that we've seen with uh, Orioles pitchers are having the best ERA but the worst FIP, I think it's interesting that we're coming to somewhat of a mean there. Um, Now, that being said, I want to go to someone that is a little bit more controversial in my book, and that's the most surprising pitcher, I think, over the past month, and that has to be Miguel Gonzalez. When we're talking to Rockabaco about this, we were talking about Miguel Gonzalez was a clear bullpen candidate, and then he's unleashed four starts in a row that have basically put him back in as almost a solid rotation member. He's unloaded a 1.82 ERA in July while averaging starts of seven and a third innings pitched. Now, I don't know about you, Jake, but if I'm seeing 1.82 ERA and seven and a third innings pitched per start, that to me sounds like a really good pitcher that this needs to stay on this team. You know, and I don't know with whom to, to shower more praise. I, I don't know if we should be saying, you know, kudos to, to Miguel Gonzalez for finding his back against the wall and responding, or if it's for Buck Showalter, Dan Duquette, you know, the, the rest of the organization, the, the pitching coaches on getting everyone in the right position to succeed. You know, whether that be sending Miguel Gonzalez down to the minors to make sure that he gets consistent starts, whether it's handling the psychology of, Miguel Gonzalez, you have got to perform because Kevin Gosman is breathing down your neck. Whatever it is, everyone is responding exactly correctly. And yes, we're dealing with a short sample size here of 10 games. But Miguel Gonzalez has been really impressive in his last four or five starts. You're right, and there's two reasons for that. And it's quite obvious. It's the Luck Dragons. Luck Dragons. I love it. Yes, it's the Luck Dragons. So for anyone that doesn't know what the Luck Dragons is, Google Luck Dragons. You can type in Fangrass, but... There's a great video out there from Tom Tango who wrote the book. Um, and if you go and take a look at the two Luck Dragons, it's Babbitt and left on base percentage. And I want to look at Miguel Gonzalez's numbers. His Babbitt right now for the past month has been 225. That's a career low for him. His career is normally at 270. Jake, his left on base percentage, again, career uh, average for most major league pitchers is around 70%. Miguel Gonzalez's over this past month, is 95.1%. That sounds good. That sounds really good, and it sounds really lucky. Again, we talked about this previously with uh, Mike Petrillo from last week in Fangrass. That has to come back into the normalcy. Yes, Miguel Gonzalez has a normally higher-than-average left-on-base percentage at 78% for his career, but there is no way that he's going to continue to have a 95.1% left-on-base percentage for the rest of the season. The fact that his BAPIP is low and the fact that his left-on-base percentage is high for July— Yells to me, we've got regression ahead. Miguel Gonzalez isn't going to last. One thing I'll point out to you, Jake, we were talking about how ERA and FIP are kind of coming close to matching each other. Miguel Gonzalez's ERA may be 1.82, but his FIP on this team is 4.76. Now, I realize the Orioles have a discrepancy in terms of FIP and ERA based off of defense and all kinds of other stats, but that's too much of a variation to me to say, yep, that trend can continue. Miguel Gonzalez is going to be seeing some retribution. All right. No, I get that, and that's fine. But is there something to be said for the fact that Miguel Gonzalez clearly is not as good as we've seen him? You know, eight innings, eight innings, 7.1 innings, you know, scoreless ball, all that stuff. Isn't it, isn't it enough to say that maybe the real Miguel Gonzalez, or at least the Miguel Gonzalez that we will see in the second half, is somewhere between that guy and the guy that we were calling to get sent to the pen? I, I think yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, if we're looking at projections off of his career, Miguel Gonzalez could be a solid number four or number five starter for this club. The question is, do the Orioles want him to be 
you know, a solid number four, number five? And do the Orioles feel like they can succeed with having Miguel's and Gonzalez in the rotation, especially pushing for a playoff spot, even when they get to the playoffs? But before we go into that, let's look at the other individual that we're trying to avoid. And do that, we have to? We have to. And that's Hibaldo Jimenez. Hibaldo Jimenez has been lacking through July due to his ankle industry. Um, and one would be quick to point out that's the reason for success over the entire se- But, you know, but over the entire season, Jimenez actually has a better FIP, XFIP, and war than Gonzalez. Now, he's certainly not going to be an ace on this team. But again, he could compete for that fourth or fifth starter spot with Miguel Gonzalez. So, Jake, I raise you this question of, with the trade deadline coming, you've got two fourth and fifth starters in Jimenez and Gonzalez. And there's rumors going about, and, you know, Rock brought them up, of people saying, up. Oh, we have the possibility to go out and trade for somebody. The question is, who, what do you do with Jimenez and what do you do with Gonzo? Let's look at the two compared. Using Zip's forecast, Jimenez is forecasted to have about a 0.7 war. Gonzo is about a 0.4 war. I think we basically can call that almost a wash. Yeah, that's, that's the same. Yeah, I think we can call that about a wash. Um, and again, the other thing looking at Jimenez's uh, Zip projections is he would have to return to a strikeout level that was similar to 2013 any walk ratio that was similar to 2013 for the rest of the season. I think that's a pretty unrealistic expectation. So again, I'm willing to say that Jimenez and Gonzalez would be very similar going down the stretch one. So again, I raise the question of, are we okay having those two people in the rotation moving forward? I got to tell you as an Orioles fan, having watched the first half, I kind of just want to put Jimenez on an ice flow and push. You know, it's really funny. You should say that because um, there was a article on Baltimore Sports Life, um, who's now is joined together with Utah Street Report. So congratulations to those guys. Um, but the one thing that was really interesting with the Baltimore Sports Life is they had Dan Zembrowski on there. And he had mentioned something about, you know, it'd be really great if they could just keep uh, Baldo Jimenez in the minor leagues because really you don't want him back in your rotation if you're making this playoff push. And I think that's just a really interesting thing from someone that, you know, is a sabermetric expert by most people's accreditation. And uh, he basically doesn't want Amenas in there, and he's an Orioles fan too. So, look as the as the dumb guts baseball fan, I will say I I can't believe that Ibaldo Jimenez can be this bad. I don't believe that he can be as bad as we've seen him be. But I don't want to wait for him to get good, and I don't want to have us spend losses that we can't afford trying to get a useful Abaldo Jimenez. Right. Well, I asked this question to Rock during the interview, and um, there was a great article by Jeff Long at Baltimore Sports Life, um, and it reg- went into Jimenez um, pitch selection. Uh, Abaldo Jimenez has five pitch selections, a fastball, a sinker, a splitter, a slider, and a curveball. His fastball, sinker, and splitter have done much better. Normally, they have batting averages of less than 230. But his slider and his curveball have been crushed this year with a batting average of over 345. So the question I would raise, Jake, is if you went to your fastball, sinker, and splitter, which he seems to have a lot better control of, could, A, he reduce his walk ratio, and B, could he be an effective bullpen member? Now, Rock made the great point of it's not something the Orioles want to do. They don't want to put a $50 million guy into the bullpen. My other point is you rarely get these situations where you could be a playoff team. If it's a situation where this year that has to happen in order for him to fine-tune his mechanics— that's fine. Next year, you come back and designate a spot for him after he's worked on his mechanics. But this year, maybe that's the case of saying we want to put him in the bullpen. You'd, you'd really hope that you know the Orioles would do what's best for the organization and put him in a spot where not only could he have the best chance to succeed for himself, but also to help the team. It's just that we've seen Buck Showalter, you know, he likes his guys. We've seen him stick to his guns in a situation where he's, you know, throwing Jim Tomei out there in the DH slot every day because, you know, gall darn it, that's the DH we've got. You know, we've seen him put uh, Jim Johnson out there as the closer every day, even after, you know, incredible struggles because, you know, well, he's our guy, he's our he's our closer. I feel like uh, to a certain degree, Buck Showalter has that pedigree of a guy who would ignore, you know, the forest or the trees and and uh you know kind of go with Baldo Jimenez just because he's the 50 million dollar starter and and he he needs to be used. I I hope that's not the case. Um but the one thing I w- I would like to say about the pitch selection is, is I hear you loud and clear. I think that what we're seeing with Baldo Jimenez is off-speed pitches because it's his curveball and his slider, right? That they're less effective now. That's correct. His his fast stuff is not as fast. And so the distinction between his hard and his soft is not as much, and therefore the soft is not as effective. I, I wonder 
in shorter stints as a three-pitch pitcher, yeah, maybe he could get away with that. But if you're going to take away that soft, is it going to make all the hard stuff even less effective? Or is it going to make the harder stuff a faster velocity as well? We've seen that happen with Tommy Hunter as well. Sure, it's possible. Um, the other question I would raise to you, Jake, is we've had this discussion now of whether you go Jimenez or Gonzo for the fifth spot. But again, you have the trade deadline proposing. If the Orioles go out and get someone, they would actually have to put both of those individuals into the bullpen, or Gonzo does have the option he could go to the minor leagues. So, Jake, do you as the Orioles go out there and trade away your future to get an ace and remove Jimenez and Gonzalez from the rotation. Well, I mean, I, I think that you've couched that unfairly. Um, I, I think I don't you, think I have. I, I think I'm just setting up reality. I, I think when you say do you, you trade away the future, you know, for an ace, uh, you're you're not factoring in all the things that happen there. Let's say you trade away a lot of prospects and your farm system takes a serious hit but you go deep into the playoffs or you win a world championship or what have you, that has an effect on your organization and what you can do in free agency, both with the money you bring in, with the prestige you bring in, with the fact that players will want to be here. So yes, I understand the mortgage, the future mentality. It does have that other side. And I think that we, we as fans are very casual about that. And I don't think we're fair about it. The other thing I w- would say to you is, is that I don't believe that the Orioles have the the reputation right now, and I think it's fair, for making the big move. And I think that what we've seen from Dan Duquette is a guy like uh, Feldman brought in, a guy like Randy Wolf brought into the organization, a guy like Joe Saunders brought into the organization. And so the real question becomes, will Dan Duquette bring in a second-tier talent to augment the Orioles, to make them better? And what that means to get somebody better than the five guys or the six guys that we've currently got? And my answer to that is no. I don't expect that Dan Duquette will stand pat, but on the starting pitching front, I don't think that he's going to spend the big bucks, so to speak, with the with the prospects. And I don't think that there's anybody out there in the secondary trash heap market that's going to be better than than the guys that we have in here. Okay. I still come back to my prediction that I made during the bevies. I believe Dylan Bundy will be gone before the trade deadline. I think that the Orioles are going to make a big move. I think they're go out, going to go out and get someone of significant value um, and get that ace. So um, I think it'll be a very controversial move, but I think the Orioles want to make that move and go for it this year. I, I'm starting to soften on my stance of Bundy. I think that we have such a terrible track record with bringing up pitching. Maybe it's time to start spending those assets in another way. And, and again, it's not just about pitching. It's also the situation of he's coming off a of Tommy John surgery. There is no guarantee yeah, absolutely. that he can come back and be the pitcher that he was before. He hasn't shown a great proclivity to be that great pitcher so far you know, in his rehab. Not saying that they can't happen, but, you know— the aspect is there's already been a move in Major League Baseball to get rid of prospects, number one and number two rated prospects, in order for people to go all in. I don't know if the Orioles are going to go that route, but I wouldn't be surprised. Well, you know, I certainly wouldn't be disappointed if the Orioles tried to make a splash and acquire a frontline starter, even though it wouldn't be my preference. Let me ask you this. If the Orioles go out and and stand pat with their starting rotation, will you be disappointed? I won't be disappointed, um, but at the end of the season— um, I'm going to come back to the 2012 situation. When we were in 2012 and we were going against the Yankees, who beat us in game one and game five? Oh, come on, Jake. Who 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 is the ace for the Yankees? I'm not saying. Okay. Well, Jake, there was an ace pitcher that came out in game one and game five for the New York Yankees. La, 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 His name la, was CeCe Sabathia, and he absolutely la, 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 shut down the Orioles. So, again— Hey, Nick Marquez gives that guy two thumbs up. Okay. So, again, an ace really can make a big difference in a game one and game five. All I'm saying is an individual such as uh, David Price at Cliff Lee or even the— uh, Don't you dare say it. Even John Lester— Stop it. —might be of interest to the Orioles. If he comes here, we can you support Lester as in the orange and black? Yes. Then you're a terrible fan. Yes, I can. Because you know why I know why? Because he'll be wearing the orange and black. I, I cannot for the life of me believe that you would say that, sir. Well, Jake, um, I think it's time that we go through um, some numbers from last week. We were discussing pitchers for fantasy ball. So um, let's just say both of us did very well, but one of us did better. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh, baby. You sure do 
Oh, don't turn down that music. That's the only time I'm going to hear it the rest of the season. That's not true. You'll probably hear it again. <laughs> All right. So I, I even pulled... a baboon finds his butt. <laughs> All right. So I I managed to uh, to bring out a, a rare win. Uh, look, last week I picked Wei Yin Chen just so that when I lost, I could make a stink about. Look, you know, I went with Wei Yin Chen and he let yeah. me down. See, I was right, and he uh, he pitched a gem just to prove me wrong. And I picked Chris Tillman, and Chris Tillman had a very good outing as well. So kudos to Wee and Chen, kudos to Chris Tillman. Both had excellent outings for their runs allowed per nine. But Jake, putting up a shutout, pretty impressive. Jake, you get to pick the category. The score now is nine to five to two. So Jake, what's the category for this week? All right, I'm going to start my improbable and let's face it, unlikely comeback. You are the Tampa Bay Rays. I am the Tampa Bay Rays. We're going to do it this way. Scott, which offensive player do you think will hit the most doubles in the next week? Hmm. That's a good question. No, it's not. It's a terrible question, but thank you. No, I like it. Um, I'm going to actually go with... Hmm. I'm going to go with Manny Machado. Okay. That is an excellent, excellent choice. That was in my top two. I'm going to go with my other one, and that is J.J. Hardy. Okay. The concern that I have with Manny Machado is, again, if his back is spasming, we could be seeing a reduction in power in his ability to drive the ball. I'm a little surprised you went with J.J. Hardy. I figured you'd gone with like a Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz has been absolutely cold at the plate, but he has been putting a good amount of distance on his fly balls. I think Nelson Cruz would have been an excellent selection as well. Yeah. I think the thing with J.J. Hardy is that we're not seeing the home run power from him this season. He is starting to get hot with the bat. So with that, J.J. Hardy's going to have five home runs this week. You got it. (laughs) I'm going with the reverse lock. But no, I I think that he's starting to show uh, gap power. He's starting to to put balls down the line, even if he isn't yanking them out of the park. So for that, I'm going to go with J.J. Hardy. I'm going to hope that he will carry me into the next step of this Fantasy Boss comeback. All right, Jake. With that, it's time to go to our favorite segment, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That's right, Jake. It's time for The Good... The bad and the ugly. Jake, I'm actually going to start this week. My good for the week is going to go to an individual that I've been pretty harsh on, and it's going to be Delman Young. Being able to come off the bench the way he has so far this season is uh, pretty amazing. I know we've given a lot of credit to Steve Pierce, but Delman Young being able to step into the place where Steve Pierce was, um, it's definitely a credit to Delman Young, and it's also a credit for Buck Walter to be so supportive of him this entire way and trying to keep him on this club. I do not acknowledge good things from Delman Young. Except for the bat mitzvah. Yes. <laughs> but that's mostly uh, Mark Brown. <laughs> All right. My good for this week is Wei Yin Chen, and that's just for Thursday's game. I mean, he was outstanding. Eight innings over which he spread five hits, one walk against three strikeouts. Look, he was everything the Orioles needed him to be. Scoreless innings, eating up innings, and... Frankly, with the Orioles not scoring runs, this is what we need to see, and this is what we can build on. Wei and Chen, I've been beating you up all season. You are good this week. Um, my bad for the week is going to go to Nick Hunley. Nick Hunley was absolutely abysmal at the plate, um, pretty much absolutely doing nothing in nine plate appearances. But, you know, he's really writing himself almost out of town. Um, Caleb Joseph, again, even though he doesn't have the bat, he is doing an absolutely amazing job defensively. And, you know, it is really raising the question of whether or not, you know, Kurt Suzuki could be filling the role that Hunley is. I don't think the Orioles are going to make that move unless they can figure out somewhere for Hunley to go. But Nick Hunley is doing as much as he can to make us have fond memories of Troy Patton. (laughs) Okay. My bad for this week. Scott, my bad hurts. It hurts to say. My bad is who the hell is Steve Pierce? Ooh. Yeah, look, you know, Ooh. he's had the magical season, all right? He is, he's done things that we just did not expect. 
but he's starting to cool off. And with that cool off, we're starting to see him lose, uh, you know, batting uh, appearances as well at bats. He, uh, he had 12 at bats in this particular, uh, seven game stretch. And in that he had one hit. He also struck out six times. Look, we knew it couldn't last forever. And I hope that he rebounds and he's a productive player throughout the rest of the season. But for this week, Steve Pierce was that guy that we knew that got released five times. Yeah, that's, um, that's a pretty bad Jake. I got to admit, um, my ugly for the week is going to have to go to. Well, I'm going to have to go with big game Tommy Hunter. He had a pretty uh, atrocious week. Um, he had pitched two innings, but just really wasn't that shutdown individual that we've kind of seen him been in in terms of a setup guy. Tommy Hunter, um, you're going to play a big role for this team going down the playoff. Whether you can actually set up Zach Britton and Darren O'Day going into the eighth and ninth inning, I hope you can get it together. Tommy Hunter, you're on notice. All right, my ugly for this week is easy. My ugly is none other than the guy we were all supposed to love, and that's David Lowe. I have no idea why David Lowe is on this team. It's gotten completely absurd. Ending the game the other day by being thrown out while Adam Jones is at the plate is exactly the kind of thing that you would see from the Alexi Casilla School of Base Running. David Lowe is giving away outs. David Lowe can't get on base to take advantage of the only thing that he brings to this team, which is speed. And, quite frankly, I cannot imagine that there is not an entire list of outfielders in AAA that can bring the exact same thing. The ability to back up Adam Jones and the ability to not crap himself on the base pads when he does actually once in a while, get on base. David Lowe is bringing us nothing, and David Lowe could be DFA'd and not picked up and therefore stay in the organization. I do not understand why a move is not being made. It's infuriating to watch him every time he gets into the game do absolutely nothing productive, and I, I can't stand it. David Lowe, you are ugly. Wow, that, that was pretty harsh. Jake, I'm assuming you didn't read the article on Candom Depot last week regarding David Lowe as a surprise starter for the Orioles? No, I did not. Okay, well, I will give this to David Lowe. David Lowe has some very interesting defensive metrics that I think he should pay attention to a little bit more. Oh, that's very comforting. Thank you. No problem. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. But there really is no excuse for being thrown out at second base. Yeah, and the other thing is that he was brought in into that game for his defensive metrics, and then uh, Darren O'Day uh, threw a, a pitch that ended up three rows into the seats behind him. His defense didn't do anything that Nelson Cruz or Steve Pierce wouldn't have been able to do in that position. Yeah. And then, and then, with a chance to climb back into that game, what spot in the lineup came up? Steve Pierce's, except that Steve was on the bench and David Lowe was up. And how did that work out? Where was Delman Young? I don't want to talk about Delman Young. I refuse (laughs) to admit that he does anything good in this club. You got me all riled up for that on purpose. I I, kind of did. So, Jake, um, I feel like I've almost made you blow the save, but I think it's time for us to go ahead and try to blow this save. All right. There are two things I want to chat about this week, and I'll try to make them very quick, and they're both on rule changes. First one I'm calling time after time, a little Cindy Lauper. The Atlantic League, the independent Atlantic League, is experimenting with rule changes to quicken the pace of games, and they are ridiculous. Here's an idea. If you want to speed up baseball, how about we sell less beer in between innings? Fewer commercials and less of a break in between each inning would absolutely speed up the game. We do not need a thousand different rules upon which they can penalize uh, players for not doing the right thing. Baseball doesn't have a problem. Baseball has a problem of priority. The next thing I want to talk about is uh, an article written by Rob Nyer, and he wonders if we should think about making defensive shifts illegal. He says, though he does not uh, recommend that change, he thinks we should start thinking about it. And basically, um, it it goes to say that we should have rules to say that infield shifts should be illegal and that uh, there should be places where fielders can and cannot stand. For instance, can you have three players on one side of the infield or not? And this is incredibly stupid. Here's a here's a thing. How about hitters learn to go the other way and give up their ego in favor of actually helping their team? How about we do that? Man, you are such a ranting individual. You are just like, you know, Kevin Gregg coming out 
blowing the save and then you come back out for the 10th inning and you blow the game again dude i'm just i poured gasoline all over myself all over yourself lit a match i i'm spent well if you want to see jake pour gasoline on himself and light himself on fire you should come out this saturday august 2nd to the birdland bash we're gonna be playing some softball and also going to the orioles game that night so go to birdseyeviewbaltimore.com click the birdland bash logo up on the top on the menu section and go and register for this awesome awesome event also, I'm going to recommend everyone go to Section 336, look at their event that they're holding down in Mothers in Arnold. Um, they're having an event with Kevin Gossman with an autograph session and a question and answer session. Definitely a must attend for any Baltimore Sports Report Network fan. So with that, Jake, I think it's time we said our goodbyes. Well, I will, uh, I will try to extinguish the flame over here, as I say, to Baltimore and beyond. I bid you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.